Good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, your host for this Hacking the Red Circle conversation, where we talk to people in the TEDx world you'll want to know better. The show is designed to learn what it takes to produce, organize, promote, and create a world-class event. If you're an experienced organizer, you'll get some great tips. Veteran organizers share lessons they've learned so that first-timers can avoid common missteps. There are hundreds of amazing people in the TEDx universe, and we talk to a lot of them. If this is your first time to the show, welcome. We produce Hacking the Red Circle every week. You'll want to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Now, on with the show. Hey, everybody. How are you? Uh, I hope you're enjoying the show as much as I am today. I've got Kevin Rabinovich with us from Columbia, South Carolina, representing TEDx Youth at Columbia. Kevin, how are you? Hey, I'm good, Mark. Thanks for having me on. Oh, my gosh. And, and you know, in the, in the spirit of having uh, the younger generation uh, represented, uh, how old are you? 19. Oh, I love it, and so I have to. I have to find out what was your first TED experience. Yeah, so uh, I started watching TED talks in the back of my parents' car uh, when I was around fourth or fifth grade on the way to school, um, and since then I've just been addicted. Um, and when I uh, saw that there was going to be a TEDx event in my city, Columbia, South Carolina. Um, I applied to attend it, and it was a, a standard TEDx event, so mostly adults. Right. Um, but because I was under 18 at the time, I was 14, um, I wasn't allowed to attend because of my age. Um, so as a result, I started TEDx Youth at Columbia. At that point, it was called TEDx Youth at Columbia. When SC. you were 14? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I want to hear that. Okay, Mom and Dad, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go do this event. What was that conversation like? Well, I mean, they were pretty skeptical at first. They were like, "Oh, you know, this will this will blow over in a couple of days. Like, yeah. he'll he'll forget about it." It's a sugar um, high. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I dragged I dragged a few friends into it because you know I'm sure we all know it starts out with who you know first, and then once you get that rolling, then you can get a, a great team. But uh, not not to say that friends aren't great because my friends were definitely great in this process. And so I dragged you know may, maybe ten or so friends into this at first. Um, and we thought we knew something about event planning, but we really didn't. And what so year was our, this? 2011. Got it. So um, you were still in the first couple of years of TEDx. So the, all the, yeah, all the, the trails were still fresh, so to speak. Right. Right. Yeah. And that was, and that was kind of an exciting time, not only for us because we were freshmen in high school and we had never planned an event before, but oh I think also for the TED community, because we were all trying to figure out like, what does TEDx mean to us? How does it fit within this larger platform of TED and, right. and spreading ideas? Um, so, so yeah, we initially, uh, I think planned to do our event, uh, in, in like two months after we'd gotten the license and then we, <laughs> eight, eight, we that's we read, eight weeks, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, we started reading the manual, and the manual's you know so long. It's like it's probably a hundred pages or so. It is, it is along at with least all that. Rules. Yep. Yeah, and uh, and we were like, yeah, this is not going to happen in two months. <laughs> <laughs> and so we uh, we pushed it back to I think six or seven months out, um, and that was that was more manageable for us. But we've definitely learned a lot since then um and and, and gotten a lot of different well, people that's involved sick. that's have you done six tedx now 
Yeah, so our, our main event, um, I've been contributing to that in various ways. Uh, I've been organizer uh, for TEDx Youth at Columbia for four years, and now I'm just kind of in the position of curator and uh, kind of mentoring the younger students who are involved um, for uh, the last He's a years. mentor at 19, everybody. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully a good one, but... Well, I, you can you know, <laughs> I, I can already tell from your energy that I'm sure you are one of the one of the things that's fun about being a TEDx organizer is you're in a group of, you know, I think there's what 4,000, 5,000 of us now, which in, yeah. you know, in numbers, it sounds like a lot, but in the wor real world, it's not a lot, but we're a tribe, right? You know, of, yeah. of organizers. So do you go and visit other TEDx's? Yeah, um, so I actually took a trip to the West Coast. Uh, oh, did this, you? Yeah, yeah, this, this past summer. And along the way, I met up with, I think, nine TEDx events, um, either around L.A., some in Arizona. Um, and, you know, I'll tell you what, in, in L.A., the city's so big that they have, I think, probably like 10 to 15 That's unique right. events. That's right. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it was it was really amazing just hearing about everyone's TEDx stories and how they run everything from breaks to curation to marketing to right. you know, playing attendees and everything. Um, I'm, I've been especially interested in youth events because I think that uh, is not as discussed as it should be on the TEDx community. Um, and I think youth events present a few unique challenges that are um, that are just unusual for events. Tell um, me about those. Tell me. Let's go right there. Tell what what yeah. challenges specifically do youth events have? Yeah, so I think uh, probably the biggest one is making sure that the entire experience from finding out that the event exists from the point of a, of a potential attendee all the way through attending the event, all the way through keeping them involved through you know salons or whatever it is, um, I think that entire process is just so unique for students because students aren't, you know, very connected in email newsletters nowadays. They right. don't really use the traditional methods that adults do for finding out about events. It's, it's a lot of social media, a lot of word of mouth, um, and a lot of promotion through schools. Um, and so for us, it's been a kind of a challenge to show students that, yes, this event out of the other 100 events that are being marketed to you today at school right. is the one worth coming to. And, you know, this event, which also happens to fall on your SAT or ACT <laughs> or, you know, whatever test review date, um, right. this event is worth coming to instead of going to that. Um, and then, of course, there's a problem of affordability, making sure that it's, you know, affordable for students and that it's accessible. Um, students have a wide variety of needs, uh, you know, just like adults do in some cases. Um, we think about accessibility in terms of of not only physical accessibility, so making sure that everything's handicapped accessible, making sure that we don't use colors for colorblind people, or if we do, that mm. we write out whatever color it is, um, all the way to making sure that the price is affordable for students and that if necessary, they can get that ticket price waived or reduced in some way. So stay stay with price for a second because, sure. um, you know, the, the finances of running a TEDx are not insignificant, um, right? Yeah. Now, AV and the venue and, and the food and beverage and a lot of organizers rely on that hundred dollar. You know, mo most events are not level two, uh, so they're relying on that hundred dollars times the number of seats. Yet, w what do you charge for your tickets? Fifteen dollars um, right. for everyone, and that's so if you're an adult student. So, how do you backfill the budget? 
Um, we have a lot of local partners. Um, most of the the heavy expenses, um, I think those would mainly be videography, uh, lunch, shirts, uh, and renting the venue. Those are either completely or partially sponsored for us. Um, and we have a great partnership with the local school in the area. And so we get half of that school, basically a couple of gyms, um, a brand new auditorium, some outside spaces and and a few transition spaces to work with for the day. So what's the shortfall between what you need, what you make from tickets and what you spend that you have to go out and raise? We have to raise about 5,000 every year. Okay. And, um, and, and how do you find that? Is that easy, hard or? Um, so in the past we've relied on just a couple big name sponsors in the area. Right. Um, things like law firms, big corporations, banks, things like that. Um, and then we had one drop out a couple of years ago and oh, no. yeah. <laughs> and so we, we kind of had to scramble at that point and figure out what we had to do because we had some money left over from previous events. So we mm. weren't too worried. Um, but this year we're looking at uh, writing more grants, um, and applying oh. through more kind of nonprofit focused, uh, initiatives and, and programs. Um, so yeah, a lot of it's a lot of it's also individual donations from different people who are just interested in ideas in general, whether they're philanthropists or um, CEOs of, of nearby companies. Um, so, so what's those are the average well. gift from that kind of individual? Um, I would say about seven hundred dollars. So you don't need a lot of those, and you you make your budget. Yeah, yeah, and we've and we've been pretty lucky to have a lot of in kind sponsorships. Uh, whether it's things like software, like oh, we like use, it. yeah, we use things like like Trello, um, uh, a different kind of project management tools like Google Apps um, as well, and email. Uh, so a lot of those um, have offset uh, otherwise expensive costs. Uh, how I'm I'm curious because I, I'm wondering how. Were you the one that had to go out and raise the money? Uh, in the beginning, yes. And, and what would tell was... me about that? You, you've never done that, and you're going to go <laughs> yeah. to some big office, and the oh, guy's yeah. got a suit and tie, and you're this you know <laughs> young kid with a big smile, and hey, buddy, I need you know I need a thousand dollars. How did that yeah. go? Yeah. So um, I remember one day over uh, winter break, um, I think the last week of December, maybe the second to last week. Um, some of my team members and I, we drove down to Main Street and we said, okay, we're going to hit every single business on Main Street, give them a prospectus, give them a flyer about the event and tell them why they should support us. Okay. And so I, I think I was probably 16 or 17 at the time. Uh, and so I had, I had researched kind of how to find sponsorships, what do potential partners need to know, what do you know potential partners look for in, in sponsorships and things like that. Uh, and we hit every single business on Main Street, and we got their emails. We made sure to speak with the manager, the oh, owner, if it's a restaurant, yep. everything, everything that, that you know the uh, the books tell you to do. Uh, and we ended up getting no sponsors of the <laughs> I think sixty sixty businesses Six that we zero. Yeah, oh, gosh. Um, so after that, we decided, nope, this is not working. And we were freezing our butts <laughs> off, too. It was, it was no. South Carolina, so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't terrible, but it was probably in the low 40s that day. That's cool. Um, yeah. So, so we said, no, we're not doing this again. Um, and since then, it's, it's just really been 
kind of who we know and, and our connections and our supporters who really believe in us. We have a really great organization in Colombia called Adventure. Uh, they were they were previously called Adventure Children's Museum, but now they're much more than a museum. They do a lot of educational outreach in the area. Um, and so they've shown a lot of support for us, helping us do everything from break activities to finding sponsors to printing things for us. Um, and a lot of that has just been as a result of a conversation that I happened to have with one of the higher ups there. Uh, and, and he got to know me and, and he figured out, you know, that, that, well, this is an event that we should be supporting and, and contributing to. Um, and that's really been a lot of how, um, a lot of what has contributed to our success. Um, uh, I, I hope <laughs> so. it's kind of right place at the right time. What, yeah. what is it? You know, you, you're you're a fan of TED, obviously. Um, yeah. What is it that makes your TEDx unique? Um, so it's I, I think it's a few things. So the first one, and the one that I'm most proud of, is that it's by youth for youth. So when I was uh, in high school and I was rejected uh, from attending the uh, <laughs> the adult event, I wanted to make sure that, okay, my event is going to be accessible to youth and it's going to be planned by youth. Um, since then, we've kept along that trajectory. Yep. And even though I'm not you know, directly uh, sort of as hands-on as I was in previous years, I, I still have somewhat of a role in terms of mentoring and, and helping this, those students in high school who sure. are now running the sure. event. Um, but because it's it's an entirely by youth event, um, it allows us to have a perspective that's unique um, to say someone who's done events for a long time and who kind of knows you know what should happen and what shouldn't quote unquote. Um, and because of that, I think we've been able to deliver an experience to high school students that is unique and exciting and really different from any other event that, they, that they've attended. So I'm a newspaper uh, reporter and I'm writing about your story, your, your event. I was there all day and I'm writing for the student newspaper. What's my headline? Hmm. What was that thing that I didn't expect? Probably ideas can be interesting. Huh. So you don't think high school kids normally think ideas are interesting, but but you make them interesting? So it's it's kind of hard. Uh it's it's kind of I would say uh in some ways yes, because huh. I mean obviously high school students are exposed to ideas, but there is not a lot of time, especially in the US K through twelve public school system, you know, in which you're supposed to cover a certain curriculum in a certain amount of time right, and hit right. certain test scores and standards, et cetera. Right. There's not a place or a formal forum uh -huh. where students can dialogue about ideas in a deep, meaningful way. Huh. Um, I hadn't considered that, that. That's an interesting observation. And, and you know, it, can, it, it could probably be phrased better, you know, better than ideas could be. It, it can be interesting. But um, I think that that we... Uh, as a society need to create that forum and not, and not only for high school students, it needs to be accessible anywhere because right now, especially in our society, um, we have a lot of tension, whether it's across 
you know, racial lines or political lines or uh, in the media or around different uh, sort of issues. And we need to have a, a, a formal setting where we can come together and dialogue about these issues and understand each other rather than trying to prove each other wrong or right or, or whatever. Um, and so another thing I would say that, that makes our event unique is our program called Idea Dialogues, um, where in high schools we've tried to create this space. Um, so we have 50 partner high schools that work with us that are all over South Carolina. Um, and in each of these high schools, all the students who are interested in attending our event uh, and in attending our main event um, participate in this program called TEDx Youth at Columbia Idea Dialogues. Um, Idea Dialogues are weekly dialogues that happen uh, in schools, and they usually happen after school or during lunch. They range from about one to two and a half hours each. And during each dialogue, students are the ones leading the discussions or the dialogues, I should say. Um, and they're also the ones driving it. So they are the ones who are, are making the calls on, on what they're going to talk about, how they're going to talk about it. They set the rules, they moderate, and, and, and everything in between. Um, and the only kind of involvement from an adult is just making sure that those students have a space where they can talk about these issues. And then if the adult wants to be present, they can be, but we don't require it. Um, and these, uh, these leaders who lead the dialogues, we have two leaders per school called student leaders. Um, and those student leaders are trained in moderation skills and dialoguing skills, um, kind of making sure that everyone at that dialogue has a voice, is being re represented fairly, um, and has a chance to speak. And uh, they, those leaders, they pick a few TED Talks from our, our, our list that we've created for them um, for that specific week's topic. And we usually have eight to ten topics total, so eight to ten weekly dialogues. Um, and then for each of those dialogues, we send them a few TED Talks as well as a few discussion questions that go along with those TED Talks to watch. And so we have everything ranging from environmental issues to issues in the media to politics to inequality, whether it's gender inequality or racial inequality, uh, things that are kind of hot button issues in the news, but that students don't have a chance to talk about in school because, again, they don't have that forum or that specific formalized space where they can do that. Um, and so through Idea Dialogues, we're hoping to create this, this space in schools where students can do that. Um, and then once, once those students pick the TED Talks and those uh, discussion questions from, from the list that we send them, they then present them to their Idea Dialogues group. And that group is usually made up of 10 to, to, to 20 people per school. Um, and those students talk about those issues for one to two and a half hours um, each week. Uh, and then out of those students, the ones who have attended half or more of those dialogues are then eligible to apply to attend our event. Why am, why is listening to you right now making me feel like a slacker? Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, and so you guys came up with this and then you implemented it across the state. You built a coalition of 50 schools, which becomes a feeder for your audience, which assures your audience is going to be phenomenally diverse, already educated in the world of TED and what TED Talks are like. And now they get to sit and what, what the, as you've already noticed, the difference between watching a TED Talk and talking about it and then going to a live event, which I call free range TED, is someone has curated an experience for you with 
three to four sessions where there's a narrative arc, a beginning, a middle, and an end, and they're tugging at you emotionally and intellectually and creatively. And, and, and listener, you can't see right now, but Kevin's just shaking his head violently up and down. He's like, yes, I get all of that. You're my new hero for the day. Uh, I, I now, now you've got to tell me, what's your superpower? Uh, you know, is it organizing? Is it collaborating? Is it producing? Is it marketing? Is it curating? Is it partnering? Is it all of them? Um, uh, I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call it a superpower. I would call it maybe. Uh, you could brag. That's okay. You could brag a little bit. No, no. I think. I think I'm. <laughs> It's just it's just that I'm accidentally good at this um, because I've been, you know, because I've had to. Well, not I've had to. I've, I've had the privilege of of working with all of this for so long. I've had to take on all these different roles. Yes. Um, sometimes not knowing what what each sure. one entails. Like I was talking about sponsorships earlier. Um, so I would say I love I love everything about it. Um, but mostly I love having that bird's eye view of an organizer and Mm. kind of understanding where everything is, how all the gears work and, and fit together. Um, and kind of transitioning into a, a a role of more uh, of a curator, um, having, you know, watched lots of Ted talks and read through lots of applications for, for speakers. Um, that has also been a very rewarding process, just learning about how many different ideas people have and, insane, and finding right? those. Yeah. And then, and then like finding the best way to express an idea and making sure it's clear and concise and beautiful. Um, that's been really rewarding as well because I've had to, uh, kind of revisit a lot of my own perspectives on certain ideas and then bring in so many different sources, uh, for, for ideas that I'm helping to shape. Um, how do you think this, experience for the last five or six years i mean starting when you were holding your fourth or fifth grade but how has ted changed your life um i mean everyone knows ted's motto is ideas worth spreading sure and when you think about ideas there's something they are they're something that's so abstract and it's hard to sometimes visualize how an idea can go from idea to prototyping to testing to execution. Um, but I think through TEDx, through TED, through all their different initiatives like the TED Prize and TED Ed and, and, and TED Fellows and everything in between, it's kind of shown me how, uh, how important ideas are to making sure that we have a productive society that talks about certain issues, that knows about certain issues. Um, and I mean... Even the experience of planning a TEDx event in itself shows how much an idea can go from just an idea to reality. Uh, I think that's been probably the most uh, rewarding part of of being a TEDx organizer. Um, And then just having so many different perspectives on everything that goes into not only event planning but beyond because event planning is, is a pretty niche, I would say, category of of expertise, um, if, if you can call it that, but it, it is, uh, it's a legit and, job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and at the same time, it involves so many different skill sets and people and, and ideas and perspectives. And, uh, having been exposed to all of that, uh, I think has been one of the most 
I mean, it's definitely changed my life because it's, it's, it's made me look at different careers and different people differently. Um, so yeah, I'll stop, I'll stop rambling, but I'll say it's, it changed no, it's, my perspective. It's, a not lot a, of things. it's not a ramble, my friend. Um, what's, you know, everything is new to you. You're still young and, and it, everything <laughs> is new, right? But what's been the biggest surprise for you in this effort? Um, probably how receptive people are to youth once the kind of barrier of entry has been breached. I shouldn't say breached, crossed. Um, and similarly, how hesitant people are to give youth power and independence mm -hmm. uh, and kind of, uh, you know, authority to manage themselves. Um, and I've had to sort of look at this in my own context as now the semi-adult that I am now that I've crossed that 18, you know, mark in the U.S. Um, in, in context of having an all-youth team, uh, because there are certain things that I have perspectives on that, say, a freshman would not have. Sure. But there are also lots of ideas that a freshman would have that I would not. So I've had to kind of re-examine this uh, almost power relationship or, uh, I guess, yeah, I guess I, I guess a relationship of, of power. The one that I was in four years ago has now shifted and I've kind of changed changed positions uh, to the person in power, in a sense. Um, and it was only four years ago, and there's a lot of difference, right? Yeah, yeah, I definitely. Um, but, but yeah, I would say once once adults get to know youth and understand how much they really care about this and how much they can really work to make something like this happen, uh, I think they kind of change their perspective on, oh, you know, youth are so egotistic. They only care about social media. They're on their phones all day. They don't care about doing anything productive with their what lives. You mean that's not true? Surprisingly not. In I some, in I'm, some I'm cases, so youth thrilled actually... to hear that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, you know, I think one thing that sets uh, all the students who are on our team apart is that they have a lot of different diverse uh, passions and interests, but they're all united by curiosity and hard work. Um, and so e even if it takes, you know, staying up until three or four in the morning, working on uh, an email or, you know, a promotional flyer or <laughs> whatever it is, um, they'll do it. And that's, that's been uh, really great for me to see is how invested everyone is in the success of this whole process. The thing that got me to Ted was computer animation back in the day, 25 years ago, well before you were born. <laughs> and uh, we had a after-school program for at-risk kids uh, that would come in and teach them modeling skills, animation skills. They you know, maybe want to go do visual effects or work at feature films or things like that. And I, you just reminded me of something because here we're a software company. And here we've got, we had eight students on a regular basis. And the thing they wanted to know is, do, are we going to get to pull an all-nighter and get to work really hard before a big presentation? Like, that was like a thing to look forward to. And it's like, I, like, I hope I never have to do that. But that was always really fun for them to, we would have them work on a project all semester and then present it. And I would, I'd get the mayor and the city council and the business leaders and, you know, we'd fill the place up and, and then have these mm -hmm. students present for the first time. And 
to your point, because I'm not an ageist, it's like, no, the pay attention. These are the smart ones. These, this is your future. These are the ones that are going to be taking care of us. Let's make sure we're taking care of them. What advice do you give the incoming class, uh, the, the, the incomers that are going to be running uh, the next show? Do you, is there a, a, a lead-off piece of advice that you've learned the hard way? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I think plan every single minute of the day. Mm. Uh, and specific to youth events, kind of one of those challenges that I was referring to earlier, um, specifically for youth events, keep sessions short. Uh, because, you know, Ted typically runs their sessions 45 minutes, uh, somewhere around that mark. Um, and we try to do a little bit less than that, maybe 35 to 40. Um, it's especially during the day after, after people have eaten and it's kind of hard to get their attention because, because they're in that food coma. Um, we always make sure to keep that session interesting. Um, also make breaks interesting. I've been to some events where the, the breaks were not very structured and granted, they were adult-oriented events, so I, I, I think in that context, maybe structure is not as necessary. But I think definitely for youth events, making sure that breaks are interesting and structured um, leads to interesting experiences for, for the students and, 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 I guess, attendees in general. Um, and then kind of going along with this idea of planning every single minute, making sure you have backups for everything. Um, and we definitely learned this the hard way. So... Uh, we had a venue that we were going to be using for our, our main event, which actually happened, I think, two, two or three weeks ago now. Um, and the week before, we were going to have a rehearsal at that venue. So it was our, our venue is a high school, uh, and that means whenever there's inclement weather, the entire district shuts down everything because they can't have any you know, illegal issues, uh, so, so they want to avoid liability, et cetera. So they had shut down our school on the day of our rehearsal. Uh-oh. And so there I was driving to Columbia, trying to figure out how are we going to get a backup venue in, in you know, less than two hours? How are we going to tell all of our speakers this? And how are we going to tell all, all of our team members this? Um, and at the last minute, I think maybe, okay, not, not at the last minute, but maybe like an hour before That's we last, managed We'll call that event. last minute. <laughs> sure. Last last hour, we were able to find uh, a backup venue right in the heart of downtown. So we emailed all the speakers again. We said, "Okay, please, you know, we're really sorry, but you know, we didn't do this, but our venue did. So, so let's uh, let's let's have this rehearsal." So backups for everything. I that's boy, I tell you, that's we should write that in big block letters and put it up <laughs> in our session. What do you what are you most looking forward to? Uh, in your in the next event, what what is there something you want to try, or you've got this idea, and it's like, what am I going to do? Yeah, um, it's really it's really a lot. We um, as a as a team and kind of uh, at our leads meetings, we always try to brainstorm about what can we be doing next year, what can we be doing better, um, and we are trying to find that balance of accessibility and making sure that people can come to the event um, while at the same time retaining that high caliber uh, expectation bar that we've set for our attendees. Um, those idea dialogues that I was telling you about earlier, uh, while they are, while they do require a lot of um, commitment, that and, and, and as a result, that results in high-quality engaged attendees from, from our perspective, um, at least from what we've seen this year as compared to previous years. Um, 
that also means that certain students who are not able to attend those weekly dialogues for whatever reason that might be outside of their control. Maybe they have parents who work, you know, three part-time jobs and can't afford to pick them up after right, school. Especially right, they have to take right. the bus, which means they can't stay after school. Um, you know, arranging, you know, a whole uh, or, or kind of ranging across a whole spectrum of of uh, abilities and, and issues. Um, that that kind of makes it inaccessible for certain students. And so we're trying to figure out how do we ensure that the event is accessible to everyone who it should be accessible to while at the same time retaining that high, uh, high bar for expectations that we set. Um, that's going to be a really interesting challenge for us. And, and we look forward to solving it because we want to make sure that we get every single student who wants to come you know, to, to the event. That I, I love that. I want to switch a little bit now. Uh, if I were to give you a free hundred percent expenses all on the house ticket to any TEDx in the world, where are you going? Probably TEDx Wellington. Um, oh, oh, I don't know if you if you saw what they did with their event this year, but I had him. On, I had us. I had him on the show. Okay. Yeah. 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 I, I was just watching their um, promotional video for that right. event. And Great. It's just, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really, really interesting. And, and so much logistical. Oh, you know, my gosh. Yeah. If you've not, uh, listener, if you've not heard that show, go back in the back catalog and look for TEDx Wellington. We had uh, Sarb Johal, who's the MC, and DK, who's the licensee, is going to be at TEDfest. We're looking forward to seeing him. I will not spoil the surprise for people who've not heard it, uh, who've not, who didn't know what the secret is. But when I heard it, I was flabbergasted. I just like there's the behind the scenes story of that is really good. You'll, you'll want to go listen to that. Um, I will put in a good word for you. And uh, who knows, maybe a plane ticket will arrive for you. <laughs> so this kid needs to go to Wellington. The, um, the goal, the bar is set so high for ourselves and, and no one sets it for us. We set it for ourselves, right? We set the bar very high in terms of everything we're trying to do, the the audience experience, the speaker experience, the team experience, the community, everything. We we feel vested in uh, protecting the brand and for, for all the reasons that we all come to this. Yet the reality is you're trying to do that for $5,000, <laughs> And you have to get a bunch of stuff. So you've, you've got to be kind of a MacGyver uh, about how you do things. You've got to hack it. So what's your best hack that you would share with other organizers? Um, so even though, even though that, that kind of budgeting issue or perceived issue um, does come up for us, um, we, we honestly – don't consider that to be one of our biggest challenges. Um, I think, again, like one of those kind of unique challenges to youth events is, is making sure that the youth all know what they're doing, that they are engaged throughout the whole process, whether it's it's team members or attendees. Um, and in terms of, of an all-youth team, there you know, there are, are going to be some youth on the team who have never done the job that they want to do on the team. Because, of course, you know, most youth have not had a, a formal job at 14, 15, 16. Of so, uh, so training them from the ground up has been really important for us. Um, and at the same time, kind of keeping them engaged and making sure that they are looking at this event in terms of the larger context of ideas worth spreading has helped us do that. 
So at our update calls, we have biweekly update calls um, with our, our team leads uh, via Google Hangouts. Um, our team comes from all over the state of South Carolina, and so we use Hangouts, email, and, and group chat to kind of make sure everything's flowing. But at our biweekly update calls, we always spend about 15 to 20 minutes at the beginning of each one talking about what TED Talks we've watched that week. Um, to be on our team, there's a requirement of watching one TED Talk per day, which is not that hard for most people. Um, and we say, you know, even even watch a three-minute or five-minute one. But but start thinking about ideas in a different way. Start understanding about what ideas. Start understanding what ideas exist in the world, and and uh, and kind of get new perspectives on those. And so we hold a mini idea dialogue, so to speak, um, at each of our weekly uh, update calls, or I guess at each of our biweekly update calls. And then within the smaller committees, those team leads also do a small idea dialogue session with those committee members as well. Um, we're trying to kind of make sure that this this theme of ideas we're spreading is ingrained into every part of the process. And that means it starts with us, with the team, making sure that we understand what ideas we're spreading means and, and how to find connections between certain ideas. I love that requirement that they have to watch one TED Talk a day. So I just did the math on that. And for five years, 365-ish days, that's a little more than 1,800 TED Talks that you've watched. Of that many talks, what's your favorite? Um, I would probably say David Steinel Rast. Um, he has a, a talk called Want to Be Happy, Be Grateful. Um, and that one just really speaks to me because it – uh, showed me a different perspective on happiness that I hadn't thought of before. Um, I think in our society that is so driven by consumerism and materialism and having more and always having the newest uh, and and the idea that those things will make you happy, it's kind of easy to get lost in that train of thought, um, especially when everything from mass media to advertising to your friends to social media is kind of perpetuating this message. Um, but kind of taking a step back and looking at what you already have and being grateful for it and mm -hmm. being grateful for the people around you and for the ideas around you and for the places around you and, and everything in between, um, that perspective has been really useful to me. Kevin, I am grateful that I had this 38 minutes with you. You've, um, I, I have a very high opinion of the next generation that's going to be taking care of me and my kids uh, I hope our listener now has renewed hope uh, that uh, it's and it's not just you. It's the 50 on your team and the, all of the ones that they're touching that are making a huge difference on, on just on behalf of of all of the audiences that you've been involved with. Thank you very much. We appreciate your commitment, your energy, your your obviously passionate um, uh, when you, uh, I have no idea what you're studying to be, but, uh, if you ever start a company, you need to let us all know, cause we'll probably want to invest. Cause I know you're going to, you're going to do something really, really well. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you very much for having me, Mark. And, and thank you again to you know, the entire TED and TEDx community for everything. Um, I think they've been one of the most invaluable parts of this whole process. Uh, we will see them. Are you going to go to TED Fest? Yeah. Oh, well, well, there you go. We're going to have a big uh, a group gathering of all of us. Uh, 
that we've had on the show, the, the, this initial, our charter uh, interviewees. So that'll be fun. And you can all poke uh, fun at me uh, on one of those nights. So uh, we will see you then. Again, thank you so much. And thanks to your whole team. Thank you very much, Mark. Thanks for listening to Hacking the Red Circle. Have an idea for a guest for the show? Or would you like to tell us your TEDx story? Just drop me a note in an email to mark at hackingtheredcircle.com. Please be sure to rate, write, and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Makes a huge difference. And share the show with your team as we seek to grow our audience around the world. Until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for Hacking the Red Circle.